big decisions, paths followed, choices made. This is Connections, conversations about life and work. I'm your host, Jim Allen. It's not every day that I get to talk to someone who had their story in the Washington Post, Mm -hmm. but I do today. Welcome, Bob Brintwick. Thank you, Jim. Uh, well, thanks for doing this, first of all. It's, uh, uh, it's quite the story, so let's just get it all out there. Mm-hmm. So um, this is my version of things. <laughs> okay. Um, in a story entitled DNA Doesn't Lie, People Lie, right. you found out through modern DNA testing, first of all, that the person who you thought was your father actually sold several infant children that your mother delivered to adoptive families. No, I, I didn't find it out through DNA. I was actually there when he was selling them off. I was the well, but, oldest well, child, so I You knew, knew at the time, but you kind of knew or you oh, didn't I, know? You I, knew. I knew, yeah. You knew, okay. I knew he was selling them off, and as they came out, he was basically selling them off. You knew no. your mom had a baby Every year for yep. 10, 11 years or whatever. Always, they were always at home. Right. Pretty much every single home one births. of them was home births. And I was there for, I mean, I'm a young child and I'm hearing my mother screaming uh, either on the main floor or second floor, depending upon where we were. Um, that was something you have to remember. You were a child yourself. You were I was, like five, six, seven, eight, nine years old kind of thing. Yes. I mean, I, obviously when I was two or three, they were coming out every year. So when I was two or three or four, I didn't really know. I knew they just disappeared. and This I was just normal for I you. had no recollection of any of them until I was probably about four or five. Okay. Some of the babies stayed and you grew up with them and some of them did not. Is that fair to yes. say? Yes. Uh, my sister, the uh, she's now the eldest in, the, in her full family, a full Sib family, Barbara. Uh, she, she was the first born from Mike Mitchell. And uh, she stayed, and my mother, I think, had every intention to just have a family. She liked to have children. Her mother had a lot of children, and she wanted to have a lot of children for some reason, even though she couldn't afford it. Uh, And then all of a sudden, they kept on disappearing and after Barbara. And I believe the reason was because the one right after Barbara was a twin, actually, Sharon, and had a twin sister. Mm -hmm. And that became overwhelming for my mother. And it was around that time that my mother actually reached back to her family, her oldest sister, uh, Catherine, and asked her to send uh, her her oldest daughter, Sophie, to come and help out with the kids. And I think that's when all of a sudden the the uh, uh, selling off the babies in the baby market back in Montreal uh, started happening. I, I, I want to point out that it wasn't illegal to do this in the 50s to... to Put up a baby for essentially sell a child, right? The the and and in the in Canada or the United States, the the, uh, the unusual part of, the, of this story is there's multiple children mm-hmm. from the same parent, same mother, and father. And yeah. what and and what um, the article goes into a lot of depth about this. Uh, this is post war, post World War Two. So everyone's there's pressure on a lot of people to have babies. Yeah. And there's actually uh, somewhat, if maybe people can't have children, for whatever reason, they don't have their own children, but there's a demand for Jewish children. Yes. That, that's, so there is actually some, a lot of extra value in these particular children because 
Mike was Jewish. Is that correct? Yes. So your mother, Anne was not Jewish, no. but Mike was. That's right. So, or, or they had to, you know, quote unquote, look Jewish or whatever. They had or to whatever. fake it, basically. My mother right. never went to any of these, these meetings with the lawyer and the doctor or whoever had to, you know, arrange for these, these um, um, adoptions. Um, so I think Mike learned from his mistakes because the very first adoption he put up was uh, Sharon, and he ended up putting Anne Brintwick as the mother. And this caused a problem, I think, and uh, because you weren't allowed to adopt if you're, if if you're a Jewish couple, you have to adopt Jewish babies, and you can't adopt a non. And the Jewish baby is only Jewish because of the mother. Uh, that's how right. they count Jewishness is right. it's based upon the mother. And of course, Anne Brintwick didn't sound like a Jewish name, and I think that was the the issue. And the very next adoption, I think I forget who it was. I think it was uh, Rain. I believe she was, uh, her mother was named as a Jewish mother, and it happened to be, I think, Mike Mitchell's mother's name. I'm not quite sure, but I think that's way. Well, Reese did all the research, so she should know. So that's basically how uh, he kind of sharpened up his act and said, okay, well, we'll have to put in a Jewish name as a mother. And he never put himself in as a father, I don't think. I don't think they cared. They just need, needed to know that the mother was Jewish. I just, we have some time, so I just want to sure. kind of paint a bit of a picture here. So you're, you're growing up in Quebec, in Montreal? Yes. In the in the 50s and 60s? Yes. Um, so describe your, your mother for me. What uh, she, she likely had 11 children in total. but I think it was a, probably 13 or 14 in total. Total. Yeah. So t- tell me about your mom. Uh, I thought she was a very nice woman. To me, she was, uh, she was really good. She kept a very neat house, uh, gave us a lot of sense of pride in who we were and, and our surroundings, even though they were very poor. Um, had a sense of pride for herself as well. Uh, did a lot of cooking and cleaning and uh, sewing. She was very good with the sewing machine. She never worked outside the family, so she never brought in any revenue. And, um, but she was a very diligent mother, did well with the kids, was a good disciplinarian, so you couldn't talk back to her because she'd, back in those days, give you a slap <laughs> and usually wow. across the bum. Um, so very pretty nice, nice lady, and I, I loved her as a mother. Uh, she didn't really have uh, that kind of relationship with my sister Barbara, but other than that, uh, she was very loving to pretty much everyone else in the family. Now, as you look back, uh, you didn't have a, f- a lot of money. No. But, but so what did you think at the time? Yeah, we were in a very poor neighborhood. So most of the people that are around, around us uh, probably had a little bit more coming in. I mean, they got toys for Christmas, which we never did, and, and a whole bunch of stuff. But at least we were well fed. Um, and I just thought this was a normal situation. I was a little bit embarrassed when things became, when I began to understand that, uh, you know, being a bastard in this society, because, you know, I basically got labeled as one, I forget so, how. So you're essentially growing up, but there's no father in the home. No father, and I knew that my father, or who I thought was my father, wasn't married to my mother. So that was a little right. embarrassing. And, you know, right. there were secrets that you wanted to keep about the family, about the fact that uh, my mother kept on having children and they kept on disappearing. That was something that you had to keep kind of a secret. There were some secrets in the family right. that I that I knew were unusual. Right. So, again, I'm just trying to paint a picture here. So yeah. tell me about the man you always thought was your father. 
Um, Mike, uh, Mike was a very tall guy. He was about six foot two. Um, very fancy dresser. Um, always came in with, uh, came to visit us in a black Cadillac. He loved Cadillacs and always brand new and all that kind of stuff. Uh, never found out where the, where, you know, how he enjoyed his lifestyle and, and what he did for a living. Even now, I don't think even his kids know what he did for a living. But I think he was in a political system in Montreal, and I don't know what he was doing there, but uh, that's what he was doing. Um, but he never actually lived with you as a family or anything. No. But you just, you thought he was your father. and Yeah. Everyone, uh, everyone, everyone thought kinda, he was a father. And he, he they would They told just, me he was my father, yeah. So he- My mother and my brother. So he would drop by a couple times a year? No, no. Uh, more he than was, that. Oh, more frequently. Oh, but uh, he just uh, didn't live with you, but he was no. there more frequently. Every couple of weeks or so, he oh, would okay. stop by for the weekend. Oh. And sometimes he would take us out and we'd go riding in his big fancy car and out to the out to the suburbs somewhere. And uh, I think we had a few picnics a couple of times with my mother and the kids. And uh, and then he would uh, he would stay the weekend and then he would disappear and, and he'd be off for about a couple of weeks. And uh, then he'd come back again. So he was a fairly frequent visitor to so the you, family. So you had a relationship with him then? No, he actually never started a relationship with me. Uh, um, but you saw him a lot. I saw him a lot, okay. but uh, the conversations, et cetera, were, were always with my mother and my older brother. And um, So you think he deliberately didn't have, didn't want to make a connection with the, the children that were in the house? I think so. I do believe so. Okay. Um, he made a little bit better of a connection, I think, to Barbara. He would uh, you know, do more with her. Uh, I think he knew that I wasn't his son, but I didn't know that until much, much later. Right. Well, mate, okay. But yeah, he never really wanted a relationship with, with me, right. and, uh, but he had a fairly decent relationship with my mother and my older brother. So in the article, you say this about your mother. Every year, year and a half, she was having a baby. The newborn children were always gone after a few days or weeks. No one explained what happened to them. Now, your mother, uh, Anne, um, in the article again, it said, you know, every once in a while she had seemingly bouts of, this weighed heavily on her, I gather. I didn't know why it weighed heavily on her. All I knew is that she Being would, a child, you know. Yeah, you know, I had no idea. All I know that, I remember when I was about four or five and my sister, my younger sister, Barbara, was about, I guess, four. Uh, we were about a year and a half apart. Um, we heard our mother wailing like crazy downstairs. We thought she was going crazy. And we just, I grabbed her and we decided to hide in the closet until all the noise died down. And she had, she had been, every now and again, she would go into this grief thing or whatever that was. It was quite, it was quite sad, but I had no idea. I never even connected the two together with, oh, she had just had a birth or whatever. All I know is that Every now and again, we had this issue with my mother having you know, this strong uh, emotional reaction to something that uh, would cause us to be very concerned. This cycle of events just sort of ended when you were about nine. Well, it, no, it ended in a very particular way. Um, what had happened was Michael came along. He's my, he was my youngest brother at that particular point. He's right. eight years younger than me. And she wanted Michael. Um, so she wanted to keep Michael. And um, there was some discussion about that. I don't think uh, Mike Mitchell was very pleased. But my brother had quit going to um, high school at, uh, in grade 10, and he could have gone to grade 11, but he decided to start earning some money for the family. So that made us a little bit more independent 
from this money that was coming in from the from the kids. We weren't getting a lot of money for the for the children. He was getting probably about ten thousand dollars a piece, I think, from right. from his his scheme. But we were getting a small amount, and that wasn't enough to really do anything for us. So my brother quit, went to work at Dusky's Hardware in Montreal, and then could afford it. So my mother decided that she can now afford to keep her kids. So she had Michael. And then right after, a year later, she had, uh, we called him Richard, although he's, he's now known as Bram. Uh, and Mike, at that particular point, refused to let her keep Richard. And there was a big argument about this. He finally took M- Richard away from us, and that was the last straw for my mother. And there was a moment when my when my brother was telling me that uh, my mother was going to go out for a bit because Mike was coming over, and they were going to end their relationship. I guess she wanted to keep Richard. She, she wanted to keep Richard, yeah. And then that, and then Mike came in and grabbed the baby right out of one of your siblings' Barbara's arms. Barbara's hands, yeah. Barb's. Yeah. And that is that perhaps what set your mother off? I believe so. I think that was, that was, that the, last was straw. the end of it. The last straw. She didn't want to do this anymore. And um, she decided that she could now support her kids. And uh, she didn't need him and didn't need whatever revenue was coming in because of it. And uh, she would move on. Right. And I remember seeing I was I was on the second floor looking out a little window with my brother uh, at my shoulder, and I I see this Cadillac which I knew was my father who I thought was my father drive up. I saw my mother get in on the passenger side, sat there for about fifteen twenty minutes com- doing some kind of conversation. Got out, slammed the door, he drove off, and that was the end of Mike Mitchell. And that's right. when. So you never saw him again after that. I never. Well, I saw him. I saw him the year my mother died. About maybe a month after my mother died, I was on mountain sites at the time. I was living with my brother. I was going to university. Okay. And my brother saw Mike Mitchell right at the. There was a Depener little corner store, and he saw him there, and he said, "Look, there's Mike." So and ten I, years later. Yeah, and I I recognized him. And we didn't waver anything. He saw us, and then he just got quickly into his car, drove off. And that was actually the year that he left uh, Montreal and went out to BC. Um, the, fa- the father, for 1967, Mike. yeah. 1967. Okay. I, I knew that my father had another family, was married, had children as well. Right. And I always wondered, well, how could he do this? How could he have family at the same time as he had us and yet not help us in any way? Uh, to support us and let us really live a very menial existence. And so when I eventually got older, I, I was trying to think about ways I could find out a little bit more about my father. I was just about to, to turn 70. Right. I, I was pretty sure he was dead by then, and I decided to pursue uh, his side of the family to find out who he was. Right. I wanted to piece together some kind of an idea as to who was this man right. that could do that. So and just to yeah, just again to paint a, a picture here was it was it sort of every other child was was put up for adoption and you every know, and, single one, pardon me, every child, every child in well some were All kept by your mom, yeah. but some were but but there was there was five or there six were, consecutive children. There were eight. Um, he had eight children, and six were put up for adoption. Right. So Six. he had, yeah, he, my, my sister was the oldest, Barb. Uh, she was kept with us. 
And then there were about five before Michael. And then Michael, who was eight years younger than me, uh, he was kept. And then Bram was the last, the sixth one to finally be... Uh, Right, and the, and the way the article is written, and I'm sure the the writer had many sleepless nights about how to write it. <laughs> yes, because uh, because the the fact that Mike ended up having his own family mm-hmm. at the same time at the same time family. with eight children is a bit of a yeah. bombshell to me in the article because even my wife, who was we were kind of reading it, and she hadn't finished it. You got to you got to finish the article because there's this bombshell at the end where it turns out. He had this other family simultaneously, and there's probably about eight of them, yes. eight kids, eight. Yeah. Uh, and they lived a Same pretty number. standard middle-class lifestyle yes. by the sounds of well it. Well-supported, yeah. I mean, $10,000 is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money today, uh, you know, a fortune back then. And yeah. if he was, that was probably just maybe his cut too. I mean, there's probably commissions being paid by certain people. So the money is going to his family, his middle-class family and not yeah. your own. That's right. And that uh, it wasn't going, as the quote goes, it was going to feed his family. It wasn't going to feed ours. And yeah. you're pretty angry in that article. I could feel yeah. it coming off the page. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I felt uh, resentful and a little angry that uh, he couldn't find a better way to be supportive of us. Uh, I understand now that it was a big secret, so it's hard to, you know, support a family when you're running a kind of a secret situation. But yet again, uh, he he should have realized that when he comes in with his fancy clothes and his big fancy car in the neighborhood where, you know, the cars are all jalopies and things and people are, are running around in rags, that uh, that is something that's going to uh, puzzle a lot of people and it's going to make me feel like, there's got to be money there to to be able to be spent on us, and yet all you would do is you know spend time with my mother and give us maybe fifty cents to go and buy some ice cream to get rid of us for a while. Um, but you knew at the time that my, there seemed to be a little bit when he's around. There's a little bit more money around. The, you ate obvious. better and that oh, sort yeah. of thing. It was obvious to me. Uh, even as yeah. a young kid, I knew that uh, here's a guy that had a lot of money, and and there we were, uh, and I was one of the poorest kids from all of my friends. I mean, all my friends were doing a lot better than me, and yet uh, here I have this father that uh, had more money than virtually any of their fathers, I could tell, and yet, you know, we we weren't being uh, treated very, very fairly by him. Uh, you know, when my parents died, it's like, it spurred me to do a lot of family tree research, so uh, family tree research. So, you know, so there was a lots of... Um, I had the uh, the advantage of having the internet at my disposal, uh, even twenty years ago. And so lots of ordering of birth uh, and marriage and death certificates from yes. the old country, Scotland. Yeah. But your family tree found you in a, in a sense. That's how I kind of yes. see it anyway. Very true. Um, did did you send a DNA sample to Ancestry dot com then? Yeah, I went to Ancestry first. My motivation was to find out a little bit about my father. I didn't think ah. there was any way I could find out anything about uh, my siblings because they disappeared. From my point of view, they were gone. I had no idea. Right. Uh, even with DNA, I didn't think any any of them would be looking for for me or for the family. And this was about four or five years ago. I was just about to turn 70, and I thought, okay, let me see if I can find his family because I wanted to find out who he was. I wanted to talk to his family, his current family that grew up with him. I wanted to find somebody who who knew him, 
and of course my adoptees, uh, my my half sibs, they didn't know anything about him. So I wanted to find out about him. My motivation was what what is this guy all about? So that's when I put my my ancestry DNA in there, and then Sharon popped up, and she comes along and says and she's uh, a half she's sibling. a half sibling. I didn't know it at the time. Yes, she comes but there's along. this sort of a partial match. Yeah, right? that's and how it, uh, so that's she, how it comes up. Yeah, she comes along and says, "Oh, I think uh, we we may be uh, um, close relatives or family. I'm not." So she sure. contacts you. Yeah, she contacts. So she. Me. It turns out she was doing a lot of her own. She was research. checking out for her twin sister. So independently, where, yes, these other half siblings at different times yes. are also signing up with Ancestry.com or Twenty Three and Me. Yeah, and then. In various ways, you start getting connected with these lost siblings. Somewhere along the line, you find out that Mike isn't your biological father. And someone told you that, again, in the article, very dramatic. It said it was a... Risa. Risa Risa told me he wasn't my father. So she figured out. Everyone's kind of doing their own sleuthing on their own time. As the article says, she had a very difficult conversation with you. And you didn't... That was a shock for you. It was a shock. It wasn't difficult because I, I actually liked the fact that, <laughs> that he was my father because right. I didn't like him very much. Right. But the funny thing is I was kind of stupid about this because when Sharon came on with the results that she did, uh, the only reason I knew she was a sister of mine is because on her birth certificate and Brintwick was her mother. So right. I said, Sharon, you're not a close relative. You're a family member. And then so I got curious about that because it, it looked like there was a it was a fairly distant relationship. It, it, why wasn't it immediate family? So I had my brother submit a test and her submit a test to a lab in, in, in uh, Oakville. And when the results came back, they were 99% family. And right. I was 39%. And I'm thinking, wait a second. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. How come I'm, you know, like we have the same father, we have the same mother. What is this? And I didn't put it all together. I was, you know, still working, so maybe I was busy doing it. But I think it was just stupid about it. Right. And then that's when when Risa had pointed that out. Then it all began to click to me and say, ah, well, now I can understand where, you know, Sharon and Michael are definitely, you know, totally from the same parents, and I'm not. I can relate to the family tree research part because you're doing it. When I did it, it was kind of backwards. And there were little mysteries that were kind of solved, like my my grandmother and grandfather turned out to be first cousins, uh-huh. which was common back then. But that was a bombshell for me, <laughs> yeah. Because well, wait a second, that means you know we share great great whatever it is, great great grandparents or whatever yeah. it is. Um, so everyone had their own reason to be doing their own searching. For instance, as you say, one was searching for a lost twin. Yep. Uh, one was, uh, I think she had cancer and yes, again, common reasons people start searching up for their birth parents because, uh, she had cancer and she was worried about her own daughter. That was Risa. And, yeah. and the, so everyone had their own reasons. Yeah. Um, and the surprise was that there were all sorts of full and par- partial matches. So how did you, how did you find it? Was it a, a phone call, a letter? Uh, uh, email or well, Risa got. Um, I guess she got kind of tired of the fact that Twenty Three and Me wasn't getting her any more uh, information. Right. She's very curious, and she decided to go into Ancestry where I was, and then all of a sudden I pop up, 
And then she says, okay, so let's look at the centimorgans, you know, the amount of relativity we have with each other through DNA. And then the numbers were definitely, you know, not supporting uh, us having the common father, only the common mother. And uh, this is all communication via texts because uh, what happens is Ancestry says you can email and then it'll, it'll be the go-between. And then if you send someone an email, which I did, Teresa, saying, well, why don't you email me directly at my Gmail account? So we began to do kind of text messaging that kind of way or just emailing each other. And that's when she finally said uh, in a text to me that uh, I, have, I have shocking news for you or whatever. I forget what she'd said that uh, – uh, you're actually not, uh, you don't have the same father as I do. And I thought, really? And then it finally, I, I figured, so, yeah, she so was right. to this day, you don't know who your real father I I have an inkling as to who right. he may be. Uh, there were five brothers that came to, uh, to Canada. I found out recently from one of my first cousins that... The, all the brothers were actually born in uh, Ukraine. I always thought I was half Ukrainian and half Jewish because my mother was Ukrainian Orthodox and I had a Jewish father uh, whom at that particular point I thought was Mike Mitchell who's Jewish. But then I found out from my first cousins on my father's side that uh, there were five brothers all born in the Ukraine who then moved to Poland and grew up in Poland. Uh, so actually, I'm full Ukrainian, which is kind of I'm prideful with the fact that all the things that are going on right. with Ukraine right now made me feel like a good identity there. And uh, I found out that out of the five brothers, I've kind of narrowed it down to two, and maybe eventually one of them will eliminate uh, eliminate the possibility, and I'll actually know who my real father is. Uh, so your mom, you died when you were a teenager. Is that? Yeah, I was 18. And then, it, by the sounds of it, you all kind of scattered and moved on with your life. So, pretty much were, did, through your twenties and thirties, were you still in touch with them, or did they just everyone just went their own way? Or? Uh, we were in touch, but uh, my sisters moved out to BC and started their own families in BC. There wasn't much contact with them. My brother moved to. Uh, well, my brother stayed in Montreal for a while. Uh, we had a pretty rocky relationship. Uh, I think he had done his duty as a uh, an older brother to be, you know, um, I guess father figure for the family from all the way from when he was 18 till uh, 16 until he was about 24, 26, something like that when my mother finally died. And uh, I think he was fed up and he wanted to pursue his life and he went away and, and did his thing and stayed in Montreal. We had him over every now and again and uh, my wife and I married when I was uh, 22 and we had him over there, and then he eventually moved to Toronto. And until we moved to Toronto, uh, we we had a, a relationship that was off and on. Uh, but our relationship with my and my younger brother, he just took off. He was sent to Weardale House, and he escaped there within about six months, and was dragged back within a year, and then finally went to my sisters in BC. And then we lost contact with Michael. I hadn't even had contact with Michael for 34 years, my youngest brother. So as the title of the article suggests, DNA doesn't lie. Are, are you glad you know all of this? That's, by the way, that's Reese's quote, just to let you know as okay. a perspective. Uh, I'm glad it all it all came out. Um, I, I, I love my, my family. I didn't realize that uh, even after 60 years of not knowing them that I could get to know them very well and, and feel them. 
uh, in my life as well as I do. It's been now four or five years since we've started getting to know each other. And you've connected. It hasn't been easy, I'm sure, with the pandemic. But you've had reunions and things. We have. We've connected. Uh, uh, some of us connect better than others. <laughs> some of us are a little bit more reserved. It's a lot of people. A lot of people, yeah. And some people that only thought that they may have uh, just one sibling or no siblings. They just want to find out about their mother and father. And all of a sudden, they have this huge family to to uh, to put in place. That's kind of a, a daunting task. So, uh, But I, I've enjoyed the experience. I think it's worked out very, very effectively for for me, for my own uh, mental growth, uh, for my emotional growth, and uh, I, I really enjoy reaching out to my siblings and letting them uh, know me a little bit better and letting, letting them know their story. They needed to know their story. And uh, I was, I mean, Barbara knew the story as well, but uh, she wasn't as talkative and she didn't want to get involved in the beginning with all this stuff. It wasn't until some real efforts on uh, Reese's part to get her connected to us that she finally did connect. And uh, so, you know, somebody had to kind of let people know why, why this mysterious thing happened. I want to give a shout-out to my, uh, my, my cousins on my father's side, not that I'm going to name any of them, but um, they had submitted their DNA through, I think it was 23andMe. I'm not sure. Yeah, 23andMe. So when I submitted my DNA into 23andMe, I came up with a first cousin. And uh, we connected. And she said, well, how could this be? I mean, you know, how could you be a first cousin? And I said, well, this is what I think happened or whatever. <laughs> and she was really, really nice. She opened up. She was the one that told me, well, there were five brothers. She was the one that told me that I have... Uh, she she had a sister and a brother as well that were my first cousins. She had a couple of other people that had shown up on 23andMe that were also my first cousins from another brother. So, uh, you know, the, things began to fill in. And then we had a really nice reunion in Montreal when we came for the reunion for uh, our first reunion um, through my half-sibs uh, with Bram and Michael. I brought Michael to Montreal as well. Uh, when we had our first reunion there, um, I also decided to have dinner with my first cousins. And they were very welcoming. It was just beautiful. They welcomed me into the family. Uh, one of my, my first cousins, Ronnie was, uh, no, Johnny, was checking out my hands. He says, yeah, you have hands of, you know, one of my, like right. one of my fathers. They feel like it and all that kind of stuff. So that was really, really nice. So it's, it's kind of nice to be welcomed by a family that you didn't even know you are related to. And uh, now my question, question is, okay, let me fill out. Uh, I want to get to know what these men were like, these five men, right. and how they got so, to be where they were. So the five men, one of which is probably your father. Yeah, is my father, but is. I just don't know which. Yes. <laughs> Sooner or later, the mystery may be solved. Oh, and, I don't know uh, how. They're, they're all working on it. They're all working on it. Yeah. Well, it just takes a DNA test. <laughs> That's all it'll take. Mike's family, they don't want anything to do with this story. Though. They don't want anything to do with it, and neither does my half-brother or potentially half-brother half or half-sister on my father's side. They don't want to have anything to right. do with me. And I either. could get that. I, I yeah. get that. But uh, yeah. which it blows, it could, you know, this kind of stuff can blow up a lot of, a lot of families, I suppose, right? I it's actually like, had a conversation with David Mitchell, which is uh, one of the mid-children Right in uh, on the uh, Mitchell side, he's he wasn't connected to me in any way, but he wanted to know a little bit about you know he didn't believe Risa that uh, his father, whom he thought was a 
really upstanding gentleman right. uh, had any other family or life uh, other than his own. And so I said, well, you know, uh, call me or I'll call you and I'll talk about what I know about uh, your father. And then we had a very long conversation for about an hour and a half. He was a very nice guy. Um, and I think Naomi's going to be visiting with him fairly soon uh, in April sometime uh, in Calgary to talk a little bit more directly with him and see if she can get into uh, his his siblings as well to get some you know, communication going there. You're very uh, well adjusted about all of this. It's uh, I guess you've lived with it for a few years now, but uh... well, I've had uh, my wife has a lot to do with my adjustment. To tell you the truth, we we met as high school sweethearts. Got married when I just finished university. Uh, she brought me out of my shell. I had a big shell around me, a big wall around me. I, I remember there are a few songs in my life that I would identify with. I'm a rock, I'm an island, you know, the Garfunkel hit yes. there. Because I always kept my feelings buried. I remember when the Supremes came out with uh, Love Child, I, I identified <laughs> with that because I was a love child, basically. I didn't realize how true that was now that Something I understand that resonating, I was maybe. basically only one child to this guy that even didn't, probably didn't even know I existed. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, the, these things play in your mind. And uh, she brought me out of my shell. She worked very hard to kind of make me emotionally. This okay. is over 40 or 50 years, you mean? No, this was right Just the last the, five oh, years. No, no, no. I'm talking about when we first met. Right. I was quite shut off uh, at 18. You, you were a project for her. Yeah, you? and yes, okay. she got into psychology, so it became a good project for her, for course, sure. Yes. And then she brought <laughs> me out of my shell, brought me out of my emotional uh, disconnect. And uh, that's where the adjustment came from. And her family were terrific. I didn't have a really good family relationship. I was the kind of guy that, uh, as long as I was doing well in school, Bobby was there to do for himself. I was a middle child, basically, in my family. Right. And it was kind of like, not ignored, but you know, as long as he was doing okay, we don't have to worry about him. And uh, it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, now that I'm, I'm, I'm an adult, I've got to get connected to, to my emotions, and I can't just distance people away from me. And she was very good at doing that. So my well adjustment, my good adjustment comes from my wife and all her diligence around keeping me sane. <laughs> Did you grow up going to church or anything? Or? Well, my mother my mother never went to church, but she grew up as an Orthodox, a Ukrainian Orthodox person. So we celebrated Easter and we celebrated Little Christmas as well as the regular Christmas. And my brother took up Catholic faith because I think his father was a Ukrainian Catholic, Alex. And uh, so he grew up in the Catholic faith, but uh, by the time I was eight or nine, I had no faith. I mean, I didn't didn't believe in God, or I'm, I'm not really. Uh, so you were, you were. Uh, it took a toll on you. Whatever was going on around, whether you understood it or not. Yeah. You were eight, nine. You were. It a, has a toll. Yeah. You were a cynical, hard, yeah. hard edge. Yeah. Uh, Bright guy, so that's about the only thing that kept me sane was the fact that I got was able to get into university. Uh, I was right. able to. I never got a scholarship, but I was able to pay my own way. Right. I was able to take my own path, and uh, I'm, I think I'm the only one that ever went to university within my family. Uh, so you know, that was always a sense of pride from my mother and my brother. So that was kind of nice. I I felt some kind of pride for the family over my accomplishments and what I was doing. Yeah. Everybody else has it. The funny thing, Jim, is everybody else has their life pieced together now. All of my half-siblings now right. know the complete story. And the guy who wanted to kind of find out the complete story is the only one that doesn't know, and that's me now. So right. it's kind of strange. 
It's kind right. of how a very, very funny twist. Well, you're remarkably well-adjusted, uh, considering. <laughs> considering. <laughs> I guess you don't have a choice. It's either that or you're... Well, that's it. Go out of your mind. Uh, no, it, it's, life's been really, really good. It's been a very nice existence. My wife yeah. is one of the best women that, that I, I would have ever met. Uh, we run a really, we have a nice family, uh, accomplished kid. Emily's doing really well. So uh, that's a good sense of pride for me. The fact that, you know, uh, it ended up, on ended a good, up well. in a good note. And, you know, I'm uh, I'm still have my faculties and uh, I'm still doing okay. So, you know, uh, life is good. You just have to give it a chance to get there sometime. Thanks, Bob. Thanks okay. for doing this. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Very generous of you to do this. Oh, appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment or if you want to be on the show, send me an email at connectionsvideopod at gmail.com. And please subscribe.